Hey, uh, I've got a, a friend up here named Matt Mullen. We might need to get him a mic. Um, uh, but um, Matt and I have gotten to hang out a few different times. Matt and uh, Andrea are part of uh, John and Kristen's dinner party. Um, and and they, uh, they also had a little baby girl over the last year. Is it yeah, still a year? Yeah, under ago. nine months ago. And uh, Matt runs a couple businesses and uh, has been gathering uh, a couple times a month with John McCurdy uh, over here at Common Districts down the road. And uh, Matt is one of these guys that if you start a conversation, he's going to know everything you need to know. And, uh, and I don't mean that in the sense that he's a know-it-all. I mean that in the sense that he knows it all. And, um, uh, you know, there is a difference. You know what I'm saying? There is a difference. You know those people who are know-it-alls, and you're like, you don't know what you're talking about. And then you're the people that, like, just wait till they need to say something, and then they say it, and you're like, oh, my God, how do you know all that? Um, that's Matt. And, uh, has, has, but it's also been on quite a journey, and we wanted to just take a second because uh, one of the things I think that's missing in culture is conversation. Uh, we're pretty bad at it. And uh, we, we would much rather say our point than listen to your view. And, and so we don't have, um, we don't have an understanding. And, and so I, I just would love to model for us what conversation looks like. And, and about a month or two ago, we were sitting after we had gathered with John. John had pulled some guys together, so we sat down, and, and we just started talking. And you mentioned a couple things. And, and so maybe you can just quickly kind of give, uh, in a way, a summation of what we chatted about. Because at the end of it, I looked at you, and I go, I think I need to have you come up and share. And maybe at some point we'll get you to do it in a fuller view. We're only going to take about 10, 15 minutes here. Um, so there's no way we're going to cover it all. Uh, but I, just give us kind of a picture of that day when you shared with me. Give us, an, in a way, a summation of kind of where you were at, what you had been processing when it comes to the word freedom um, and kind of some of the things you had been dealing with. Hello. So, um, yeah, we're going to have to do... Definitely a summation. Um, I have been I've been wrestling with something since I was about 12 years old, and so in the context of freedom, as it pertains to all of us, there's going to be individual things that if we didn't need to be freed from something, then Christ is useless to us, and every person falls under something that they need to be broken of. Mine started when I was about 12 years old. Um, it started during a quiet time. I started my relationship with the Lord when I was really young. Um, I used to hitch rides to church with friends and things like that uh, because my parents didn't go. And uh, I was 12 years old having a quiet time on my own. And I remember having this paralyzing fear um, that I was going to exhaust God's patience. Um, and, and this paralyzing fear at the age of 12 that there was going to be something I did. I've always been a somewhat of an edgy person, like, um, in terms of, uh, there's just not, there's not a lot that I fear from man at all. It's easy for me to talk in front of people because I really don't care what a lot of other people think. Yes. And that's, that's always been that easy. That is a true statement. Yeah. It's yeah. always been easy for me. Yeah, that was gentle, yeah. <laughs> I'm being very gracious with myself in public. Um, the, on the flip side of things, I've always cared a lot about what God thought about me. A lot. And I, don't, I still don't understand 16 years later exactly if there's another route to that fear or not. I've explored it. I've thought about it. It's hard to nail it down. But regardless of where it came from, that fear began to grow and manifest itself in other ways, by the time that I was 15, I was on anxiety medication for it. 
I was having panic attacks. And the basis of the fear was I was acutely aware of my own human flaws, character deficiencies, things in the past that I had done wrong. And um, those things would just stay highlighted in my mind. And the more that those things were highlighted, the more it seemed very probable that it would be easy for God to be done with me. For whatever, wherever that line is, wherever I imagined it to be changed in phases throughout those years. And then it really came to a head sometime in the winter of 2010. And I, um, I talked with Andrea about this, and she gave me permission. She actually asked me to be fairly honest about this. So Andrea and I struggled um, staying pure before we were married. And those actions uh, compounded upon a pre-existing anxiety and fear to lead me to an absolute breaking point. When that happened, um, this is what it looked like for me. I didn't eat or sleep, really, for two to three weeks. Um, I was in a state of terror. I was a 4.0 student my whole life and almost dropped out of school. It was anxiety to the point where I could not function, and then some. So sometime in 2010, a switch flipped, and it went into a whole nother mode. (laughs) And now I have to tell the story and also talk about some of the things that, that God did in response. After I talk about those things, the really humbling part of the story comes into place, which is hopefully where you guys will benefit the most. Um, I was an RA in college when this started, and I had an RA shift down in the uh, main office, and a girl that was friends of mine could tell that something was wrong. I didn't give her any specifics, and she asked me, she said, can I have my dad pray for you? My dad's a pastor at a church in San Marcos who has the gift of prophecy. I was raised Southern Baptist. Um, There were no, this was literally my first encounter with someone operating in the biblical use of the gifts. So this man um, doesn't do this a lot, but when he does pray for somebody, all he wants is a name. He wants no information about him. So that way, if he does hear something, he knows it's from the Lord and not his thoughts on a subject. So this man is praying. I talked to her, I think it was on a Friday evening, and he prays six to eight hours on Saturday evening in preparation for Sunday service. During that prayer time, he was praying for me, and he wrote an email to her. It's February 20th, 2010, and I'm praying... God, I don't know where I stand with you. Give me something in black and white. And the next day, she calls me and she said, my dad was praying for you, and he got something. So she shows up. I'm praying for something black and white. She shows up with a printed email (laughs) from her dad. And I'm going to read this email to you. Hi, Amy. That's my friend. Okay, I prayed for Matt. Ask him to look over Isaiah 54 and see if anything speaks to his heart. I was particularly drawn to verse 4. If it speaks to him, great. If not, no worries. Here's Isaiah 54.4. He quotes it. Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. 
And he goes on to say, I don't know what he's experienced growing up, but tell him that the Lord is worth more than anything he can pursue or desire on this earth. Tell him nothing he has done will ever separate him from the love of God in Christ Jesus, and that he hasn't surprised or offended God. God's promises to him are still available and freely given. The Lord is always like the prodigal's dad. He's always got a robe and a ring waiting. The adversary's job is to accuse him to God and to himself. So tell him not to receive the lies anymore, but to shake them off and rise like a warrior over the verbal and mental attacks of the enemy. No more condemnation, no more mental torment, just a shout of triumph and victory. Sharpen your sword, Matt, so to speak, and use it against the attacks of the adversary. The sword is the word of God. So, here... So we give that applause to God, but to be completely honest, if my story encourages you, fantastic. But what you're going to find is that very often miracles, miraculous and miracles, miracles in and of themselves are insufficient to bring change. And you'll find this out in the parts that follow in my story. So joy broke through. My torment ended the minute I I read that. I fell over in my car and cried for 45 minutes, unable to move, and my hands were stuck like this. And I mean like stuck. 30 minutes into it, I was so happy and I was so hungry, and I tried to sit up, and uh, my friend Amy, who just brought this to me, was in the car with me just praising God, and tried to sit up and put my hands around the steering wheel, and I just fell back over. It was something I'd never experienced before, and you're like, immediately I thought, this is over. This is done. Like, there's my answer. It's done. And then that night, that night the doubt started coming in. That night the hyper-analytical mind that I have that very often can be a gift put me back into paralysis as I began to question whether or not that was from God, as I began to question whether or not I could stand on it. So I I went back into it. I went back into the wondering. I had this piece of ammunition, and I went back into it. I was free for maybe six hours. And here and there, I would make decisions to walk in faith of it, and immediately there would be breakthrough. But then I didn't handle the thoughts appropriately. Because I really had never dealt, well, I can't say I didn't deal with spiritual warfare. I dealt with it since I was 12. I just didn't put a name to the enemy, and I fell over a lot. So after this, probably about two years after it, I'm still up and down 40 times a day, getting to the point where I'm living with it. So I've learned how to function again. I'm sort of a shell of who I was before. Um, Joyless would be the best way to explain it. Um, A couple years after that, this same man began to continue to help me. They gave me that prophetic word. I reached out to him, and my analytical mind had a thousand questions for him. And he began to still patiently help me and work through some things. And we went to go see him one Sunday in San Marcos, and there was this book he recommended I read that I didn't ever get around to reading. And so I knew we were going to go see him that weekend, and I didn't want to tell him I hadn't read it still. So I tried to cram it in 
before I went to uh, some music lessons I was teaching. And there, the book was called, um, it wasn't The Father Heart of God, it was another one. Um, uh, it might have been The Father Heart of God. And there was this um, section in there where they had written a chapter about <sighs> examples of men reaching out to people in their life through touch that ministered love to them. So it was sort of like a, a chapter on attacking being a macho man. You know, don't be afraid to hug your kid. Don't be afraid to do those things. Here's how it ministers to people. I broke down in a way that I never had. And at this time, my dad had just passed away from lung cancer. And my dad was very distant. And it was weird because that book reached out and grabbed something in me that I didn't know was there. And I felt led to read the story of the prodigal son. So I'm, I read it. I got to go to this lesson. I'm driving and I'm crying. I get to the parking lot, trying to like wipe the tears away. And I, I said a prayer. I remember it so vividly. It was, um, Lord, I wish I could feel you hold me, but I know I can't have that on this side of heaven. So I'm going to believe that that's your heart towards me. I'm going to just believe it. And I'm going to believe that you're here holding me now and that you still love me. Not even 60 seconds later, I just opened my door to go into the music. Um, music, um, wow, is this thing going in and out or is it me just? This is you holding Cool. Um, so I get a call from Andrea's dad, my father-in-law. I hadn't talked to him in four or five months. He didn't know what was going on. And um, I'm trying to, like, manly, like, hey, Tim, what's up? <laughs> and Tim doesn't even say hi to me. He just says, and, and Tim's only had two occasions like this in his whole life. Andrea, even his daughter, has never seen this happened. So he's not like one of those guys that frivolously throws out things like this. He said, man, I just had a vision. Um, and I was going to call you later and tell you about it, but God told me to call you right now. It's just super serious. Again, no hello, no nothing. I just had a vision of me giving you a hug, holding you and telling you that I love you. And looking back at that, Obviously, I'm thankful to God because he's, I mean, there, there were dozens of these things where God took somebody on the outside and ministered something to me because I know that if I had an experience, I would have doubted it. If I was alone in it, I know me, I would have doubted it. I would have brushed it off, attributed it to whatever I ate last night or something, more than likely. I'm a fairly cynical person, and um, especially when it comes to myself. And anyway, God began to continually do things. Six days later, we go to San Marcos. We're visiting this church, never been there before. And during the worship thing, I'm praying. And it's six days after that incident that just happened, where Andrew's father spoke to me with that vision. So I'm kind of like on a high, a little bit of a spiritual high, right? And I'm like, God, I know that this is you. I know you still have patience for me. I'm still so sorry about what happened before. Sorry I wasted so much time, you know? And I'm still just kind of living in, now I'm regretting something else. This 80-something-year-old man comes up to me while I'm praying during the worship and shakes me out of my prayer. He doesn't brush me. He grabs my shoulders and shakes me. He says, hey, hey, did you hear it? No more shame, no more guilt. Did you hear it? 
I didn't know what it was referring to until about eight months ago when I found a journal entry in my phone. I have maybe five. <laughs> I'm not a journaler. <laughs> I found a journal entry in my phone where eight months before Andrea and I were um, together, and it's the only time in my life she's ever done this, thankfully, because she could use it as a power play pretty easily. And she said, God told me um, <laughs> that God told me to tell you no more shame. Six months later, that man comes up to me and shakes me out of the prayer and says, did you hear it? No more shame, no more guilt. Did you hear it? <clears throat> then he begins to tell me God sees you in Christ when he looks in you, when he looks at you. And he says, and don't forget it. And I forgot it. Because there was a lesson. There was a lesson in all of this. I wanted miraculous deliverance. I misunderstood that freedom is not a moment. Yeah. Freedom does not happen right. in a moment. Yeah. And victory does not happen in a moment. One of the downsides of the theology, and, and again, this is, we don't want to get too deep into this. One of the downsides of the theology that I had was in God's sovereignty, whatever he wants for my life will happen regardless of my interaction. And that's not biblical. And that's not true. So as we've been going through this series in freedom and everything, it's been really helpful for me to remind myself to remind myself. Yeah. Yeah, and that process can't stop. Yeah. Because we have defaults. Whether we come to Christ with 20 years of habits and that's our default, or whether we go to Christ at seven and the world just screws us up and we screw ourselves up, we create these defaults. There's things in us that if we're not intentional about proactively opposing, we orbit right back to the same default. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw that process, even in the midst of having these great miraculous things from God to point me in the right direction, the neon sign does you no good if you don't walk. Yeah, it's good. And yeah, it took years to even get to the point where I began to experience some of the fruits of the Spirit again well, of intentional good. Now, that, that's a good story. That's uh, a... Yeah. I know as, uh, as I talk with Matt and we walk through some of this, you know, I know for some of us, you might be going, well, I haven't had that dude call me 60 seconds later and I haven't had, and sometimes we, we've misconstrued things or we've moved on from things too quickly that have happened that are surprising in nature. But what, I think one of the things that we, we talked about was that, that it isn't the moment that makes it. It isn't, it isn't just having that moment because this happened eight years ago, yeah. this first thing. And we're talking eight years ago. And, and Matt would tell you that really it's just recently that he's begun to really walk in some of what um, has been talked about to him. And so for some of us, we might go, oh, well, I haven't had that, so I can't. No, 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 because that's, that that's not the thing that defines your freedom. Your freedom isn't the moment that God somehow speaks, although you are here listening to a story that identifies with where you've been. and you're, So maybe you could chalk that one up. But the point being that really it's about what happens after the moment. What happens after that inspiration? What happens after that word that was spoken on a Sunday or that dinner party conversation or whatever it is that you begin to actually put into place the things that begin to renew your mind? begin to actually change your thinking and you know the the bible says guard your heart well really the word heart could mean and more often than not means in the bible your thoughts 
what you think about. So let me ask you this question, and, and you actually told me to, to ask you this question. What took so long? What took eight years, seven years for you to start going, oh, okay, I've got to do this. I've got to make this. I've got to believe that enough to begin to walk in it. What, what, what took that time for you? I mean, we could probably do like a CT scan and find out how thick my skull is. <laughs> um, I'd like to say that's probably part of it. Yeah. Um, for me, it was, it was a fear of not being able to prove it. Hmm. So faith obviously only has its power in the face of something else that's happening in reality. Yeah. And when well, I Well, that was had, good, y'all. Just gonna tell that. That was good. That was good. So my previous years, let's say years 12 to 18 or whatever, you know, um, I would honestly go, no, I'm still young. God's still going to have patience for me. Or no, I'm, I'm doing this right. And, and, and in my particular situation, it was me looking back on something I had control over, um, which was a, a pretty good track record up until that point. But then when there was a real problem, when there was real sin, when there was real something, whatever that something is, when it's real, then you go full faith because you know there is ammunition against whatever you're going against. You know, whether you get um, a physical sickness, a mental sickness, emotional problems, whatever it is, that thing feels real then. And you can point back to that thing. Whereas what you're walking in faith of doesn't feel real. And so what took me a really long time was to prioritize reality over emotions. Yeah. And then growing in the character to habitually do it. Because it doesn't do you any good to make that decision one day yeah. or a hundred right. times that day and then the next day revert. Yeah. Because you're not going to build a new default without consistency. And it took a lot of time. And then it took a lot of repetition over and over, leaping into faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and just making a decisive commitment. This yeah. is what I'm going to believe. God, I'm going to trust you. God, I'm going to do this. And through repetition of that, the emotions change. But in the process of that, you learn to not care about the emotions anyway. So when the emotions change... And they do support what you're walking in faith in, you know, and you're walking in basically and experiencing the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah. That's great. But if they're not there, that's okay too. Yeah, right. And learning that lesson. That's freedom. Yeah, that's freedom. Yeah. That's stability. That's freedom in the midst of whatever the opposing force is. Yeah. So give us an update where you're at now. What do you, you know, uh, because we would, we would have talked and we would have said that, that you're, it's not like everything's done and that you like it, but you are in a place where you 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 are further down the track, I guess maybe. Sure. But where would you say you are now? Well, that's that's a difficult question because not knowing an end of a spectrum yet, it's difficult yeah, to right, say exactly right. where I am. Um, here's what I will say: I've I read a book recently called um, uh, "The Art of Habit," I think is what it was called. Good book. And it was just getting into the psychology of 
habits and what happens to the mind when habits are there. And it brought up something that I think really relates to everyone that is undergoing the process of renewing their mind. And that is that when you break old habits, they don't die. Hmm. They're still there, which is why there's a daily battle against it. So if I tell you something like, oh, it's, it's, it's gone completely, it's over, I'm really setting myself up for one, <laughs> for a target. Um, because obviously that's something that you see even in scripture, let no man say, yeah, you know, right. that he has arrived unless he fall. Um, because in this process, which is intimately tied into sanctification, I would say that obviously I'm, I'm healthy yeah. and my faith is strong. However, do I still have some of those old cyclical thoughts and temptations come back? Absolutely. Absolutely, and it's fun to kill them. And it gets easier yeah, to kill yeah, them. Yeah. It gets easier to kill them with time. Yeah. So what you find is that freedom at the onset comes in bursts. And then as you intentionally walk it out and invest your mind into it more, yeah. you commit by faith to grabbing God's word, clinging to that and that alone, and letting that transform the way that you view whatever the heck's in front of you, then you'll find that your freedom from the anxiety and fear of that gets elongated, and then the interruptions get farther and farther apart. Yeah. So you begin to get into a place where you rest, yeah. and you have seasons of rest. Good. But then those principles, you can use them whenever the next season of whatever comes along, yeah. and then the old stuff will always try. If I wanted to, I'm sure I could go home today and just entertain old cyclical thoughts, and I could be there in a second. Yeah. Because it's always... The traps of the enemy are always waiting for us. And our predispositions, we may have different things, but they'll always be there, but the freedom comes in longer and longer durations. Yeah. Because you're creating that new default that you reside in. That's it. That's it. Creating the new place that you live. I, I, this is, I think this is incredibly important for us. And, and I, I actually want to share with you a word here in a moment, but I want, I want to pray over Matt, but I want to pray over anyone who would maybe identify with Matt's story, um, where anxiety or worry or, or feelings of condemnation or feeling like you don't add up or whatever it might be, um, you live there. And uh, what Matt's talking about is this, this understanding that we we set a tone for our life, and the things that we do on a regular basis um, either allow God to continue to work in us, or 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 we push Him out of it. And um, and we do make those choices. Um, and God is is so interested in reminding us of who He is. And and that's why you would even see in the Old Testament you'd see altars set up. The altars were there um, as the Israelites marched towards Egypt, uh, were they, or sorry, towards the Promised Land out of Egypt. Uh, were there to remind. Um, them of what God had done and so many times we forget what God has done and so we uh, we have lo very little faith for what he can do and and so it, I, I want to just pray over this I want to share real quickly and then we're gonna we're gonna get out of here uh, but I want to thank Matt for sharing his story um, you know it's uh it, it is much easier to listen to um, an entertaining thing or uh, whatever, um, but to hear someone's story, to actually listen and go, where, can, where am I in that? Where, uh, how can I encourage that? And this is the stuff you don't always get unless you ask the question. Um, many of you would not have known that about Matt. 
And you would have never known that about Matt, um, even if you've hung out with him. Um, and to know that is, is uh, so many of us have those types of stories, and it takes time to get there. Let's pray over this. And uh, you know what, Matt? Let me have you, if you'd be up for it, uh, to just pray over anyone who's maybe walked through some of what you're walking through. And uh, let's just do that. Yeah, before I pray, too, I want to encourage anybody who does deal with, honestly, any situation, be comforted by the fact that if a miraculous thing hasn't come, it doesn't matter because the miraculous event, again, I can't stress this enough because I hungered for them. I, I almost got to the point where I was dependent yeah. upon like having new things come in. And while God was gracious and merciful to use those things to point me to the truth, they in and of themselves did not bring freedom. The freedom comes from you grabbing that truth. Yes. And that truth is already there. You don't need a special delivery of it. I didn't need a special delivery of it. I mean, maybe I did. Maybe things would have gotten, like, worse, but I'm thankful God was merciful in that, honestly, of course. But um, they were meant to bring about character development, which comes through the utilization of truth, not the receival. Okay. All right. Father, we thank you for these opportunities. We thank you for, honestly, the, the great things that you have done in all of our lives. I thank you for this platform, this pedestal, to be able to voice some of the great stories of what you've done in my life. I pray that they encourage others, that they can see, they can see the depth of your love, your grace, your patience, your, your just unrelenting pursuit of us in the midst of our frustrations, trials, whatever it is that we're wrestling with, you're there with us in it. I pray for anybody who is dealing with that, Father God, that they will grab your truths, that they will step out in faith in believing what Christ has done for them, that they will step out in faith and grab hold of the identity that you say they have, that they would begin to train their mind to see themselves the way that you see them, so that then they will be free to interact with others using what they know they have, even though they may not feel that they have it in the moment, but knowing that they have it in you. We thank you for the unlimited, bountiful love and provision and grace and mercy that you give us in Christ. And for those who are dealing with any of the things that I dealt with, condemnation, mental torment, um, shame, guilt, any of those things, Lord, I pray that that you will encourage them as they go to confront those things directly, to not just live a passive lifestyle under the influences of those things, but they will push forward and grab hold of the freedom that they already have in Christ. The prison is in their mind, and I pray that you will help them understand that and see that and break out of it. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Amen. 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 Come on. Would you give it up for Matt? Come on. Isn't that good? I want you to grab your seat real quickly. We're gonna, I'm just going to share with you. I'm not going to preach. Don't worry. Some of you are like, man, it is lunchtime. 
Um, maybe I'll, I'll bleed into next week a little bit. Uh, but Acts 16, I want to share this quickly. Uh, I, I changed it up a little bit and, and felt like I needed to share it for, with you uh, because I think it speaks to what Matt just shared with you. Some of you may have heard this story. If you haven't, that's okay. Uh, we're going to read it. I'm going to try to read it quickly, and then I'm going to share with you just a, a few thoughts from it. Uh, Acts 16, verse 16. Acts 16, verse 16 says, One day as we were going down to the uh, place of prayer, this is Paul and Silas, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. I think this is interesting. that She didn't say anything negative necessarily, although in that context maybe it was. Uh, but I wouldn't mind if someone followed me and said, These are servants of the Most High, and they've come to tell you how to be saved. Um, verse 18, This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated, so annoyed, that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul. I love this because he sets free a slave girl. Just prior, he had shared the gospel with, uh, with a woman in Lydia who was a very rich merchant. And in a moment, we're going to see his interaction with a prison guard. Basically, every status in society, he spoke the gospel to. That's the way the gospel works. It is not for one group. It's not for one people. It is for all people, for every street. Are you with me? Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. Now listen to what they say. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. The whole city. Don't you love those people who get offended for everybody else? The loudest people. The whole city. They're not making any money. No, no, no. I don't think the slave girl joined them. And the slave girl was like, no, that is not what, no, this is good. I like this. I'm in a good place now. The whole city is frustrated. They were teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Now, I read this story. I've read this story so many times. I've heard this story so many times. I think many of us would say that, that Paul and Silas were set free from prison, but they were also beaten and wounded. They had a stick taken to their back multiple times, severely beaten and wounded, and then thrown in prison. For some of us, it is not the prison that has gotten us in trouble. It is the, the pain that has put us there. We, in the inability to defend ourselves, the wounds that we've experienced. And I don't know about you, but there are some bruises, like when I went to the beach with John McCurdy, and he thought that uh, he knew how to boogie board, and uh, because, you know, there's a lot of 6'6", 250-pound men that boogie board, and uh, so he got on the boogie board, and he went over the lip, and he thought he, land he landed it, so he thought he could do it again, because he's a confident man, and so he did it again, and he went nosedive straight into the sand, because he wasn't out in the big waves, he was on the waves at the shore, and he went straight in to the sand, and he got up out of the water, and this giant of a man with red all over his face, and his shoulder was purple. Now you can see that bruise. 
You know that pain. But how many of you have ever had that bruise that only shows up at certain times? You know, you go through your day and all of a sudden, oh, what? What was, does anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't even know where that came from. I don't even know how I got that. It is painful. It hurts. And then you forget about it. And six hours later, you, you do the same step or you push the same thing. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Because some of us, we got wounds you can see, but for many of us, there's wounds we can't see. There's wounds that we haven't told any about, and for many of us, we don't even realize are present. We don't even understand that some of the things we've dealt with from the very beginning have created some wounds. And the only way we understand that we have them is that we find ourselves in the same place every six months or every year, every two years. We find ourselves in the same place because that wound has struck us and that bruise has hurt us and we realize we, 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 we have something that causes us to get into this place. And Hebrews 12, 1 says that strip off every weight and every sin. There is a difference between the two. Your prison might be your sin, but for some of us, we have wounds that have kept us at a place where we are weighed down. In fact, the, the Passion Translation takes that weight word and turns it into a wound word and said those who have, have pierced wounds strip off every wound so that you can run this race because that is freedom to be able to run around midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening as you do at midnight when people are singing we have those neighbors you got those neighbors I got those neighbors they like to be loud at midnight they never come out except at midnight I think that means they're vampires but I think the, the there's music, and, and, and that's what you do, but here's what I want, I want you to understand. It's interesting to me that, the, that, that, that they tell the story and say that it happened at midnight. Because sometimes it takes time for you to get back to the place where you will pray and praise in the middle of your prison and pain. You need to give yourself the grace to know that sometimes it doesn't happen. It didn't happen at dinner time. It didn't happen at 8 o'clock when other people could ignore them because there was other noise. It happened at midnight. They started to pray and praise again. To me, maybe it was that it just took a little time for them to get back to that place where they felt like they could pray and praise. But at midnight, Paul and Silas begin to pray and praise the Lord. And suddenly there was a massive earthquake, not even a joke. In that region, this was not uncommon. All the doors immediately flew open. The chains of every prisoner fell off because Jesus isn't just about your freedom. I'm going to read that again. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off because Jesus isn't just about your freedom. Okay. A jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself because in that day, whatever happened to the prisoners happened to the prison guards. So if he let them free, whatever they were supposed to have paid for their injustice, then he was going to have to pay that price for them because he let them go. So he was going to kill himself, and Paul shouts to them, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We are all here! Why, Paul? Why have you not taken off? You're free. Get out of there. Because here's my thing, and here's what I want us to understand as, as a church, is that, is that we, when we can find freedom anywhere, we don't have to fear anything. When you can be locked up in a prison, wounded, beaten up, and still find freedom somehow, some way, to pray and praise God, when all the things begin to shake and take shape in your life, you don't have to take off running because you are never meant to run away from something or run from something, but you are meant to run for something. Yeah. 
Hebrews 12 would say that you would put your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, and if you can see him and what he went through and what he dealt with and what he continued through and what he persevered through, you will realize that you can keep going. And so here's this prison guard, and he's going, I'm going to kill myself. And Paul goes, no, 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 we're all still here, every one of these guys. We're all still here because we know no matter if you lock us up again, we're going to be fine. It'll just happen again, twice. I'm good with that. I'm just padding my stats here. And Paul says, no, 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 we're not taking off. And I think too many times as people, especially as believers, we get freedom from something and then we take off. Let's go find that comfortable place where I don't have to be around those people anymore, around those things anymore. And I think there's some level of discernment there and an understanding about what you can and can't be a part of and where you can and can't be. But I think that if you're really, truly, actually free, is which we started off with, right? The sunset's free, he is really truly actually free then I can stand up a bit if I've set the right habits if I've developed a new default then I can walk into those scenarios I walked to, I talked to Pastor Scott here who shared an amazing word last week from what I hear and uh, just so thankful that we've got uh, people like that in our church who have a voice uh, but I, I, I you know talk to him about you know he's in the business world salesman sits around the table with 10 other salesmen and listens to these conversations and listens to what is being talked about and goes, man, I don't, what in the world? And yet in the middle of it, he can pull somebody aside and begin to talk to them about life and how to do it well and how to love your wife, not talk about your wife. Come on, man. How to love your kids, how to hug them like Matt said, like how to be a good husband and a, and a good man and, and have character in your life. And, and that's what freedom looks like, to sit at the table and Jesus sets a table before you and prepares it in front of your enemies and you go, this is not scary because he's set a table before, me, before my enemies. I'm good to go. I'm going to eat. And you know what's amazing about this story? This is what I love about this story. The jailer called for lights, ran in the dungeon, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So it's so funny, the guy who brought them into prison brought them out of prison. See, somebody, somebody needs to be given meaning in their life, and the way that happens is you get freedom, and you walk with them into a place where all of a sudden they're setting someone free who's going to write the New Testament, who's going to take churches into the rest of the world. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in this household, even at that hour of the night. Worship team, come on up. Everybody come on out. I know, I'm supposed to wait till pray. It's all good. The jailer cared for them, washed their wounds. It's amazing what happens when you truly meet Jesus. You turn into a servant. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house, listen to this, and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. What happens in the temple should make it to the table because this is not just about me getting my thing, it's about us getting our thing and making sure we're gathering together, making sure that we're creating a place for people to have a meal, to have community, to have fellowship, to have friendship, to have relationship. Some of y'all need to lead a dinner party even though you don't feel comfortable leading a dinner party. Get some friends, have them come over, clean your house a little bit, get some food on the table, and just enjoy yourself because you can't be a fake you when you're eating some grub, right? You gotta be the real you when you're eating food because you don't hold the fork right and you spit a little bit when you eat and, and you just get. So I want us to be a church that understands freedom 
should not be something that causes us to run from where we are, but freedom should be a thing that allows us to stand up where we are and go, I'm not leaving. I'm free, but I'm staying right here in Fort Worth. I'm free, but I'm staying right here in the midst of this thing because I believe that there are people who see my freedom, who need my freedom, and I'm gonna continue to point them to Jesus, and I'm gonna do it, and we're gonna get around the table, and we're gonna talk about Jesus, and we're gonna hang out a little bit, and I'm gonna see Matt Mullins, and I'm gonna see others set free because someone picked up a phone and said, man, I know this is weird. I know this is strange, but God set me free, and I want to speak something into your life. That's what freedom should look like, the freedom to pick up the phone and call somebody when it's weird, strange. You might even be laughed at and go, hey, I just want you to know God gave me a vision. I want to speak into your life. Hey, I know we're not supposed to hang out. I'm old, you're young, or I'm this, and you're that, and I get it, but I want to go grab a coffee with you because I want to hear your story. That's freedom. Freedom is we are a church that doesn't look all the same. Freedom is a church that doesn't, we're not all this age and we're not all that age. We don't all work here. We don't have this skin color. We don't, we are all different. And the freedom to be able to gather together in the midst of all that and lift up the name of Jesus. That's what the church should look like. It should be awkward how many different people come to the same place to worship Jesus. To sit at the person who put you in prison and sit at their table and talk to them about Jesus. Come on, y'all. I want to be free. I want to be free to do that. I want to be free not to hold things against people. I want to be free not to carry my wounds anymore. I want to be free to not be caught up in prison anymore. I want to have a freedom that allows me to stand up in the middle at midnight and wake some people up because I want to praise God and I want to pray. And those things must go together. Why don't you stand with me this morning? God, we thank you. Lord, we worship you. God, we worship you. Come on, just begin to pray. Come on, you might be in midnight. You might be at the middle of midnight, and it's taken a long time for you to get over your wounds. It's taken a long time for you to get to a place where you can pray and praise again. Maybe it's been a long time carrying this thing. It's been a long time of pain or hurt or frustration or discouragement. You've carried something deep within you, and some of you, it's become such a small wound, but when it gets touched, when it gets hit, when it gets, you, man, it cripples you. There might be memories. There might be offenses. There might be some things that have gotten in the way of you allowing God to work in your life. And he just needs to hear your voice again. Like Matt said, he's got a ring waiting for you. When you show back up the house, he's going to put it on you and say, you're my son, you're my daughter. I love you. I never stopped loving you. I've been with you the whole way. Some of us have some wounds we've not let go. We need to give them to God and we need to let them go. Some of us, we've been locked up in a sin. We've been in prison around something that has kept us. And all he wants you to do, he doesn't need you to figure it out. He doesn't need you to come up with some plan. He needs you to simply come before him and go, God, I'm right here. I love you. I know you, can, I know you have patience for me. I know you have grace for me. And I'm going to praise you because of that grace. And then I'm going to praise some more. And then I'm going to praise some more. Just like David in the Psalms. I'm going to pray and then praise and then pray and then praise. And soon they're all going to run together. And somewhere along the way, there's going to be a freedom. And it might be at midnight. It might be in the darkest hour. It might be in the place no one expected it. It might not be by the hands of someone else. It might be because something shakes. If that's you this morning, I want to pray with you. And I want to pray that God would set us free. That God would bring freedom into our life. And we would begin to pray and praise again. And we would see it as he begins to bring more and more freedom into our life.
For some of you, you have a piercing wound. And God's saying, I want you to, I want you to throw that away. I want, you, I want you to put that in my hands and let me take that off of you. For some of you, you got a sin that easily trips you up. Every time you think you're making progress, you run over the same thing. God wants to bring freedom in your life. And there's going to be steps after this, but there's a, a moment where you have to be willing in the middle of it to lift your voice in prayer and praise. It's your confession that you trust God. And so I want, I want if that's you today, I want to pray with you. If that's you today, say, I want to trust God. I want to trust God. I want to get rid of that weight and that wound. I want to walk away from that sin that so easily entangles and trips me up. If that's you right now, would you just raise your hand? And I'm going to believe with you. Come on. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Just thank you. Thank you. Come on. Just right now. Just lift your hand. Come on. Freedom. This is freedom. Thank you so much. Maybe it's a thought that just always shows up in your world. And Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. Put your eyes on him right now. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. Several people already. Come on, just brave, bold. Thank you so much. I see that as well. Come on, so good. So good. Come on, God's going to do something. Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray right now. Come on, everybody with your hands raised. Come on, be bold in this. Let's surrender this moment to God. Lord, I pray right now over all this place, over all these people. Lord, I pray freedom. God, I ask for freedom. I declare freedom. God, there's some things breaking right now in our hearts and in our world. God, that wound that doesn't get to cause us pain anymore, that doesn't get to take us to the place that we've always been. God, that, that sin that so easily entangles us, God, we pray for freedom. And God, we, we declare right now that we will make the decisions following this, that we will, not of our own power, but because we trust you, because we put our eyes upon you, that you will bring everything else into alignment. As we put our eyes on the right thing, not up, not down, but right on to Jesus, the rest of our body will come into alignment. So God, I pray that we will do the things that put Jesus at the center of who we are. God, I pray that we get involved in community. God, I pray that we get around people. Lord, I pray that we get with others and find healing as we share our story. Find healing as we allow others to encourage us. God, I pray that we'd be allowed, we would allow others to tell us what to do. We'd allow others not, not to, to just get their advice, but to go, hey, tell me what to do right now, because I'm going to do it. God, I pray that we'd be honest with you. God, I pray there's freedom in the name of Jesus right now. Lord, and as we sing, God, I pray that as we sing, we prayed. Now we're going to praise. Now we're going to praise. And I pray that we would, we would experience a freedom, not just for this moment, but to build momentum, that we would make decisions that come out of this freedom. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing.